every parent knows that one of the hazards of parenthood is stepping on Legos with your bare feet in the middle of the night. It's a painful rite of passage that we all must go through. But we can't take away the Legos from the kids because they need to learn how to build things. They need to learn that the taller the tower is, the stronger the foundation must be. The kingdom of God is the same way. If we want a strong Christian society, then we have to start at the most fundamental building blocks. Let me show you why on this episode of By the Verse. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of By the Verse today. I'm grateful for each one of you taking the time to build yourselves up with this content. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to this material. Well, last week uh, we said in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul made a shift in the book. He was moving from our rights to our responsibility. He moved from doctrine, which is how we should think, to our duty, which is how we should live. But he didn't uh, do that until he had first fanned the flames of love for God within us. The Christian life is not based on fear. It is not based on a pursuit of rewards. It is not based on earning anything. The Christian life is a response to what God has done. God went all in on his side of the scale, so we should go all in on our side of the scale, and that is what we are driving toward. It will result in unity and maturity. Well, let's hop into chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible." For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, we're stopping right here because I want to just give you a few notes on these verses. I think most of it is self-explanatory, so I don't think we need to spend a lot of time going line by line through all of this, but I do want you to understand uh, the arc of this section, okay? The, the arc of the Christian life, the direction of the Christian life is to be imitators of God. Now, you can imitate somebody by pretending to be something that you're not, but ultimately, you'll revert back to who you really are. That's what actors do. Okay, They pretend for a moment. The word imitators here is better understood as becoming like. So we are to become more like God. That is the direction of the Christian life. Over time, the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in us to help us become more like God. And we can become more like Him because we are His kids. If we are His kids, then we have His DNA, spiritually, inside of us. So this is not about being perfect in every area of your life. It's about progress. It's about the direction that you're going in over time. Not perfection, but progress. The Christian walk is infused by love, and Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate example of love, but I want to point this out to you that nowhere in the New Testament that speaks of Christ's love as in his laying down his life uh, for us as merely an example. It is an example to us, okay, but it's not merely an example. Everywhere this example is spoken of, it also includes some mention of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Now, this is important because it means that we can't uh, separate okay, the love that, that Christ had for us in laying his life down without acknowledging the reason why he had to. The reason that Christ gave himself for us on the cross is... Uh, the ultimate example of love, it's because we were sinful. And see, what some people want to do is they want to hammer only on the love of God and they want to leave sin out. They want to leave sin alone. They don't want to talk about sin. No, the reason that Christ came and gave his life for us is because he loved us and because we had messed everything up because of our sin. Okay, so Christ's love and laying his life down is never separated from the the reason why he had to do that. So up to this point, Paul has been talking about unity in the church and how Christians are to interact with each other. And this continues in the first, uh, in verses three and to six of this chapter. Among Christians, uh, there are things that should not even be named. There are things that should not characterize the fellowship of Christians, things that should be absent really among us, and they should be oddities. They should be rare, if at all. They should not be things that are common among us, and that list includes sexual immorality, and that's a broad category of any sexual activity that is outside marriage. It's covetousness, foolish or crude joking. Paul literally says these things are out of place. They just don't fit in the Christian community. 
inside our community, we should always endeavor to keep the standard of holiness high. And that doesn't mean that we judge everybody um, you know, for everything that they've ever done and every struggle that they might have. What it does mean is that we speak the truth in love to each other, okay, which he mentioned in chapter four. No outsider should be able to look inside the Christian community and see that when it comes to all of our relationships and our interactions, that we're really no different than unbelievers. Uh, we're really no different uh, in the direction of our lives uh, than unbelievers. Now, it's at verse 7 that Paul shifts from talking about how believers interact with each other, and he addresses how believers are to interact with the world. And the word that I think best describes this interaction is careful. Not, not careful as in you need to be afraid. We ought to be careful as opposed to careless in our interaction with people who are not Christians. Paul says, do not become partners with them, uh, referring to the sons of disobedience in verse 6. Okay, And we know that uh, he's not talking to our spiritual family. He's talking about the sons of disobedience. Okay, And so we're not in that spiritual family. So he's talking about unbelievers and non-believers. And when he says, do not be partners with them, uh, he can't possibly mean that you can't have any non-Christian friends. If that were the case, how can you win any of them to the Lord? It can't possibly mean that when an unbeliever is walking down the street that you hop to the other side of the street because you don't want to have any interaction with them. If that were the case, uh, then you'd have to leave the world, okay? Uh, You have to be close enough to unbelievers for unbelievers to see the difference that Christ has made in your life. Okay, so of course we should be friends with unbelievers. What he's really saying is uh, that we should give a great deal of care of how we handle our interaction and relationships with unbelievers. Okay, maybe uh, they're not as close to us in terms of our intimacy, our most guarded, uh, our closest intimate relationships Uh, should be among Christians, but we must have relationships with unbelievers so that they can see the light. Because if we walk as children of the light, as Paul says, well, what does light do? It exposes what's in the dark. You expose what's going on in darkness by living a godly life. Paul is not at all suggesting that Christians should go around exposing everything that sinners do, okay? That we should post it on Facebook. We should expose everybody's uh, dark little uh, secrets that they have or whatever. He's not saying that at all. Actually, what he's telling us is that when we live the light-filled life, all we have to do is be present. All we have to do is be around, and light will expose whatever has been hidden by darkness. And what that will ultimately do is it will allow those who have been walking in darkness to see that there's a difference. See, if all you ever know is darkness, then you don't know that there's a difference. You don't know that there's something else out there. But when you see light and you see what the light is exposing, you see that light leads a certain direction but what's left in the darkness leads a different direction. Now, 
you can start to see more clearly. And that's what we want, is we want to bring light into dark places. And that's why Paul tells us we need to be discerning. We need to be careful. We need to be wise. Why? Because we want to win these people to the Lord. It's not because we're afraid. It's not because we are afraid their their dirt and their filth is going to uh, rub off on us. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm just saying that we need to be careful and wise and discerning because we want to win them to the Lord. That is what the Lord's will is, is that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. Let's head back to Ephesians 5 verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it sounds pretty weird to interject in the middle of this, uh, this in the middle of this passage, but drunkenness was actually a common problem in the ancient uh, world, especially in the Gentile uh, world. And the truth is, we're not uh, immune to that today, and the church at that time was not immune to that. So what Paul is really doing is he's giving a contrast of being filled with wine, which leads to being out of control, and being filled with the Spirit, which means being controlled by the Spirit. When you're filled with wine, you lose control, but when you're filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit, and that's a good way to understand this passage, this filling of the Spirit that he's referring to, is to come under the control of the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, and this is a continual act, not a once-for-all-time experience. Okay, singing was a big deal in the early church, and it's a, a big deal in many churches now. So, what Paul is addressing here is that he wants us uh, to encourage one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and he's not saying that we need to go around uh, singing to each other. That, that's not what he has here. He has in mind our, uh, our services, our fellowship together, that one of the things that we do to strengthen and encourage one another is through singing, okay, through uh, what Paul calls uh, psalms, which is traditional uh, songs taken directly uh, from the book of Psalms. Okay, that's a psalm, and they would have been familiar with some uh, s- traditional psalms. But he's also talking about hymns, which a hymn is a hero song. That's really what it is. A, a hymn is an anthem. And so we think of hymns as anthems to God. Hymns are more primarily about God. Spiritual songs are really just songs of uh, encouragement. And you'll find all of those actually in the book of Psalms. You'll, you'll find uh, Psalms that were very traditional, that they sung all the time in certain seasons in the temple. You'll find Psalms that are just anthems to God and all that are all about Him. And then you'll find songs that are in there that are spiritual songs that are uh, songs of encouragement, songs that actually speak to us, but they speak to us about God and about what God has done for us, and that's encouraging. And so that's uh, what we ought to do as believers. So in uh, chapter 5, verse 23, he makes another shift. Let's read it here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now listen, that may sound like a whole bunch thrown in together, but actually it all makes perfect sense. The Apostle Paul has turned his attention to the fundamental relationships of society. That's husbands, wives, parents, children, employer, employee. What he's really doing is applying everything that he has said up to this point. Okay, In chapter 4 and in chapter 5, he's applying all of that in just these few verses to the home. We can see how marriage and parenting applies to the home, but in this time, slaves and masters was also uh, in the context of the home. Slaves were the, on the lowest end of society and the social order within the household. So he has already dealt with how we should operate in the church and then our relationships in the world. And now he's going to deal with how we operate inside the home and notice the order. This is very, very important. Husbands, wives, parents, children, employer, employee. In our society, the order is flipped. It's first work, then the kids, and then whatever is left over goes to the marriage. That's backward. No wonder half all marriages uh, fail, and the number of second marriages that fail is even worse. If you're at least 30, then you've lived long enough to see fashions change. If you've lived a really long time, you've not only seen fashions change, but you've lived long enough to see some styles come back around again. Well, I love what uh, Pastor Robert Morris says. He says, the commands of God are not old-fashioned. 
They are well-fashioned. We read a passage like this, and it's easy for some people to look at it and say, well, this is outdated. This is old-fashioned. This does not match our modern uh, cultural expectations of what marriage and parenting and work uh, should look like. This is old-fashioned. But the truth is, it's well-fashioned. This still works. If you do it, it will work for you because it's the way God designed it to be and it's built on the spiritual principle of authority and submission. God has built that principle into a lot of different relationships. We are told in several places in scripture that we should submit to spiritual authorities. We have that in Hebrews chapter 13 and Titus chapter 2. But that is just not only a concept that is in the church, it's also in the world. We're told that we're to submit to earthly authorities in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 10. Authority and submission are God principles. So the primary relationship in the home, the number one relationship is husband and wife. Now, we didn't start with verse 22. A lot of people do that. They start with verse 22 and they say, uh, wives submit to your husbands as if that's the most important thing. Actually, we started with uh, verse 21, which talks about mutually submitting to each other because the word submit in the Greek is not in verse 22. It's borrowed from verse 21. That tells you that those two verses go together, that there's a mutual submission, there's a mutual uh, working out things here in this relationship, okay? And so uh, what we see here is that we both ought to submit to one another in reverence for Christ, who is our example, and then he emphasizes it, wives, submit to your husbands, okay? Now, He's going to teach us about submission here, uh, but I really want to point out to you that this is not abusive. This is not uh, something that we should be afraid of or something that we should uh, feel uncomfortable about in our modern context. Okay, the word submit here is more of a, a military word, and it basically means to arrange, uh, to put things in their proper place. It means, really, to be under authority to another. So if your role is wife, okay, if you've taken on the role of wife, okay, then the proper place for you is to be under the authority and the covering of your own husband. Paul did not say that all women are under the authority of all men. See, some people get it wrong and they think that. No, there's a huge difference. The wife's proper place is under the authority of her husband. This submitting or coming under the authority of the husband is voluntary. He's not writing uh, to a culture that traditionally has arranged marriages. Really, in the Judeo-Christian culture, uh, women were pretty much given a choice. They had some freedom. Now, I know in the Old Testament... Families were very involved, okay? But they still had some choice in the matter. Marriage is a choice. The reason Paul uh, gives us this isn't a biological one. It's not a psychological uh, argument or reasoning. The reason a wife should submit to her husband has nothing to do with her value as if she is inferior. It has nothing to do with her worth. 
J.H. Yoder said, equality of worth is not identity of role. Okay, Just because husbands and wives have different roles doesn't mean they have different values. Instead, the, the reason is because the bond of marriage, Okay, this is, this is the reason that Paul gives. The bond of marriage is a earthly representation of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is that Christ is the head of the church. Okay, the church is his body. The body can't do anything without its head and the head doesn't do anything without its body. They have to work together to get things done. So when a wife voluntarily submits to her husband, what she's really doing is reenacting in real life the reality that the church of Jesus Christ submits to him. Don't let anybody trick you into thinking that what Paul is doing is he is making women second-class citizens in the marriage. Don't let anybody trick you into thinking that somehow Paul is subjecting women to this inferior uh, position where they are controlled by their husbands. If you read these verses and you come away with that, then you have read these verses way wrong, my friend. Paul gives twice as much instruction here to the husband as he gives to the wife. The greater weight of this passage is not on the wife who needs to submit to her husband. The greater weight of the passage is that the husband needs to rise up and be Christ-like. He needs to be a Christ-like figure in the home who loves his wife. Husbands must love their wives. Why? As Christ loved the church and love your wife as you love yourself, okay? This love includes nourishing and cherishing and protecting. Now, my dad had two sons. He raised us uh, to deal with women a certain way. He always told us that women were like flowers. They are delicate, okay? He was using an analogy to show us that they have to be handled with great care. You can't be rough or hard uh, with them, okay? So what Paul is doing here is he's telling us that, listen, like, like a flower, your responsibility is to care for it to water it, to nurture it, to give it what it needs, to give it uh, the sunlight it needs, to give it the fertilizer it needs, to protect it from the elements, depending on what type of flower it is. Some flowers can take more sun than others. Some flowers can grow in more uh, harsher environments than others. You need to know your flower, okay? He's telling us that you need to do whatever you need to do to put your flower in the best situation where it can flourish. That is the husband's responsibility. He is to nourish and cherish his wife and to make sure he has created an environment in the home where she can flourish. Husbands, listen to me. It is not easy for a wife to submit to her husband. That is not natural. But it is easier if she is convinced that her husband loves her with the love of Christ. Wives, listen to me. It's not easy to love your wife as Christ loves the church. I mean, that is a high bar, but it is a lot easier if you are convinced that your wife respects you and that she will follow you and honor you. Now, this is not a matter of who's in control. 
okay? Uh, because you both are responsible for uh, making decisions together, talking through things together, working it out together, okay? Nobody makes anybody do anything or forces anybody or twists anybody's arm. That doesn't sound like Christ. That doesn't sound like the love of Christ. Okay, this is a matter of accountability. And this is what people really need to understand. When it comes down to it, the husband is the primary one, not the only one, but the primary one who is responsible for making sure that things are being done in the home in a way that is in accordance with scripture, okay? Think of it like this. Who ate the fruit first? It was Eve. But when God came to the garden to address the issue, what does the Bible tell us? It says he called to the man. Where are you? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. God will always come to the point of authority. If things aren't right at the home, God starts with the man. Similarly, Paul tells us that sin entered the world not when Eve ate the fruit and she ate it first, but sin entered the world when Adam ate the fruit in Romans chapter 15, verse 12. Adam was not only the point of authority in the home, but at that time, he was the point of authority on the whole earth. Listen to me, guys. This is so important, okay? A lot of good people just don't understand this. That what God really requires of us is to rise up, be Christ-like in the home, embrace the authority that God has given us, which simply means that we are embracing responsibility before God to make sure that things are being done in a way that is in concert with the word of God. Okay, that is the best scenario for everyone in the home. Now, I can't speak for women. I'm not a woman. And even if I was, I couldn't speak for all women everywhere. But I'm convinced that a godly Christian woman would absolutely submit to a man who is doing everything that he can to serve and follow Jesus Christ and to love her with the love of of Jesus Christ. And all of the things that people will object to in this passage and say, hey, this is outdated, you know, this doesn't work. Actually, it will work well, but it starts with the man doing what he needs to do, okay? The secondary relationship in the home is between parents and children. And that's why I went into chapter six. I know we normally do one chapter at a time, but these ideas, it's really the same idea here, the secondary relationship in the home is parent and children, okay? Uh, We don't need to talk about this a whole lot, but we do need to get this right. The role of a child uh, is to to follow their parent, to honor their parent, to obey their parent, okay? That's verse one in chapter six, but it does change throughout your lifetime where it moves from just obeying what your parents say while you're in their home to simply just honoring them. As you're an adult, uh, you're no longer under their authority uh, of your parent, but you do have a a responsibility to honor them. And the parent is is responsible to encourage their children. That that is opposed to provoke. Uh, Our responsibility is to discipline in a reasonable way, okay, and to disciple. You are the number one discipler of your child if you are a parent that is not the church's uh deal okay the church needs to come alongside you 
and have reasonable, good quality programs that help you disciple your child. But you are your child's disciple. He says, train them up in the Lord, okay? So that's the order in the home. And then, of course, last, the last thing is employer and employee. And Paul is envisioning household slaves here, okay? And we can interpret it as simply, um, you know, knowing what your job is and doing it with a godly heart. If you're an employee, do it as unto the Lord, okay? Even if you don't have a great boss, do it as unto the Lord, doing doing it the right thing even when they're not watching, when they're not around. If you're an employer, um, then even outside of the church, okay? If you If you run a business, you need to treat your workers a certain way. You need to deal with them in a way that honors the Lord and that honors them as uh, being created in the image of God, okay? I think that's all self-explanatory, all right? Uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit, friends, this is the important thing. All of this, everything we've just said, is only possible because of Christ's example and the Holy Spirit filling our lives. So here's the takeaway for today. We currently live in a time where order is under attack. And the way things should function in the home and in the church are being radically redefined. As Christians, we should embrace that we endeavor to cultivate uh, a building, uh, an atmosphere in our home that is biblical, okay? But we're going to come against some pushback in the world. We just are. But just remember, your light exposes darkness, Let your home and church be full of light because that will prove that the way that God has carved out for us is right and good and true, and the other way, well, it leads to death. Well, that's it for today's episode of By the Verse. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, If you could do me a favor and like and subscribe to this material, share it with your friends. It will encourage them as well. We'll hop into chapter six on our next episode of By the Verse.